Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, June 28th. 2015. I have a, a headache, a sore throat, and a low-grade fever, <laughs> but we got to talk about YNR. <laughs> Everything in me is saying, just get in bed and go to sleep for like 12 hours, but YNR kind of exploded this week. I'm going to do my, my very best <laughs> to, to recap it. I got my comfy clothes on. I'm going to kind of try to um, keep my voice low. My throat is like swollen. But, oh my. I mean, there was some good stuff that happened on YNR. There was some very, very bad stuff that happened on YNR. And I, I, I cannot possibly miss the opportunity to talk about it. Um, I, I, I'll start sort of at the beginning at, by saying that I'm so glad that Louise is home. <laughs> when, he wa when Jack walked through the door of the Abbott Mansion, I was so relieved. He's looking around uh, sort of romantically at the house that his father built, the life that his father built, his, you know, his family, the photos on the mantle, everything, his entire life that he he's built for himself, his legacy, uh, and I'm just, I, I'm, I was happy about all of that, but more than anything, I was just happy that it signaled the end of the, you know, the beginning of the end of the, hopefully, the twin storyline. Jack had been gone far too long. The, the, the cargo ship thing was an unnecessary uh, uh, diversion, if you ask me, although it did give us Marissa, and I'm kind of liking her at this point in the story. But Jack's looking around his house so happy to be home. He looks on the mantle and sees him his uh, that picture of himself uh, of Marco in that god awful golf outfit <laughs> standing next to Phyllis. He's realizing the full extent of how Marco has taken over his life, and he's realizing that he needs to kick into gear. He runs upstairs, and he could not get he could not get Jack Abbott could not get himself into a fresh, stiff. Business suit fast enough. I mean, <laughs> let's just say that you've been kidnapped, beaten, exploded off of a cargo ship. You get home, and the very first thing that you do is put on business attire. <laughs> I think this says a little bit about the man that we're dealing with. <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. I'm glad Jack is back. Welcome back home, Louise. Um, at the same time, you know, the, the whole Victor getting arrested for embezzlement storyline kind of fizzled. I don't even know if if that's necessarily going to come back into play. I mean, Victor goes to jail. I mean, of course, no jail cell could hold him. He's out within probably eight hours. But before that, Paul was questioning him. Uh, Victor's refusing to say anything. All he does is uh, assign a security guard to each and every member of his family realizing that uh, it, that Marco is dangerous, that he set up this, this plan uh, to set him up for embezzlement, and, and he knows that Marco will stop at no lengths to get what he's wanted. Victor's opened this Pandora's box. Frankly, he deserves to get whatever comes out of it. And I, I kind of, 
think that's why I think that maybe Paul is sort of aware. I know that Victor didn't really talk to Paul, but um, a little bit, I think, after Victor had been released, Summer comes to the police station. She's been playing a very active role in being sort of a mediary between the Abbots and the Newmans. And she tells Paul that exactly about where Kyle had been uh, and that she thinks Victor had been set up. And I, so I think maybe Paul's awareness is up that something's going on, uh, so and I don't know if that's going to play uh, later into the week, but Victor, as soon as he gets, uh, or later into the story, sorry, um, as soon as Victor gets out of jail, he goes directly to Marco and does the worst thing that you could really do, tell your enemy exactly what your weak spot is. He just tells Marco, stay away from my family. If you do anything to my family, I will kill you. All that does is end up fueling Marco. And again, that's kind of why I'm wondering, is there any chance that Victor is sort of aware of, of what's going to end up happening uh, later on in the week? Does Paul know? I'm, I'm looking for a twist around every single corner. Um, Phyllis is trying to put the pieces together about who this man really is. And in fact, Jack runs into her at the Abbott Mansion uh, for the first time coming into contact with her since he was kidnapped and taken away. This is a woman who he was just married to, the love of his life, and he thought she was dead for a period of time. Not only has he been through this trauma, but he was uh, afraid that she had died. So... Phyllis and he come eye to eye for the first time, and it was really a nice moment. Phyllis has been trying to figure out why Jack is doing all of these things, why he's lying, why he's become like a different man. <laughs> and this, for one moment, sort of melts away, and she's looking at the real Jack, and she seems to just know that that's him, and everything feels fine. So it was nice that YNR gave us that little moment uh, before the, the the final countdown, the, the final showdown begins. Um, at the athletic club, Marco is sitting down with Adam, and I think it was actually Phyllis who was talking to Adam and telling her everything that she was suspicious about when it came to her husband. And Adam started to put together that something was off, and he starts to question Jack, who he thinks is Jack, in a way uh, that uh, re sort of reveals to him that uh, he's lying, that um, that this is not Jack Abbott, and in fact says to him, okay, well, you're, you're obviously not Jack, so who are you? It was a great moment. It was greater than I'm able to project right now because I felt sick, but I really, really liked uh, that whole lead up. It felt really cool to see Adam finally be the one to figure it all out. There was this sense of yeah, you can't con a con man. You know, you can't out-con a con. So I was happy to see that it was Adam who was the one that figured it out. And Marco goes on to tell Adam uh, that ab about Jack's death, that Jack Abbott is actually dead, which is what Marco believes at this point in the story, uh, but completely denies that he had anything to do with it, which 
is, you know, sort of a half-truth. I mean, I don't think Marco um, necessarily wanted Jack dead at first, but um, we saw a scene very, very early in the week where Marco thought Jack was dead, and based on his phone call with Marissa, realized that he was still alive and that Marissa was protecting him, and he sent a goon off to kill Jack and to, uh, I don't know what he was planning on doing with Marissa, presumably bring her to him on a platter, I don't know. But uh, we've now gotten a sense that Marco is very dangerous. He's not just kind of a, a, a opportunist. He's much more sinister and much more calculating than we realize. And, and I think I was starting to really, really get the sense of that as Marco was revealing himself to Adam. Marco realizes that Adam's not really a threat to him. And I I will say, just on a side note, I felt a little confused um, by that relationship uh, and that jump because I remember that Marco knew Adam was Victor's son or that Gabriel, in quotes, was Adam's son, but I don't really remember there ever being a scene where it was explicitly acknowledged that Gabriel was Adam between between Gabriel and Mar between Adam and, and Marco. I didn't I didn't ever catch that, but all of a sudden it seemed the leap uh, of the relationship was there. Um it was sort of two thieves in a pod. Uh Marco completely was aware that Gabriel was Adam Newman and it, it in fact saw him um as a deeper ally than maybe even I realized. So Marco's revealing himself to Adam in a way that sort of shocked me because Marco ha had sort of alluded to the fact that he knew that he was a Jack double for long before Victor rescued him from a Peruvian prison. So that's been apparently a part of Marco's M.O. for quite a while, he said. I mean, he, I don't, that or he was protecting Victor, which I don't think, I don't know why he would need to lie to Adam about that at this point. But Marco seemed to indicate that he found out that he was a dupe for Jack, so he researched Jack at every point he could, and he made it his mission to go and, uh, and assume his life. Um, I almost got the impression, and you guys can tell me if that's what you got too, I almost got the impression that Victor coming along and plucking him up out of the prison was helpful, but it wasn't the first time it had ever occurred to Marco that this could be a, an opportunity uh, for, to, to make some cash. But furthermore, Marco starts to reveal his endgame to Adam and says, what my, my next plan is, I'm going to fake my own death and make it look like Victor did it and you're going to help me. So Adam is immediately like, I'm going to help you? I, I, I don't think so. But Marco makes this very compelling argument that, you know, if you go to the police right now and tell them who I am, then uh, your whole life is going to be blown up. Everything you've been working for calculating for is going to be completely destroyed. All you have to do is help me slip away into the sunset with all of Jack Abbott's money. You can have 
Newman Chabot, you can have Chelsea, you can have uh, everything you always wanted. You can reveal yourself or, or don't reveal yourself. You can keep your, you know, keep your identity as, as you want to. Um, and Adam, I have to say, I'm... I'm very surprised by Adam's reaction. He agrees to go along and help Marco. And I, I, I don't buy it. It's sort of, it's, it just seems very out of character for me. Adam suddenly becomes Marco's wingman, and he's helping him enact this plan. Of course, Adam has reason to, to want all of those things that, that Marco laid out, including revenge on Victor, but I just can't see somehow Marco going, or uh, Adam going along with this plan. I mean, they, they are totally, like, putting on the bulletproof vest and Marco's got a fake gun and he, or, uh, he's got a goat Victor into uh, shooting him. The thing that they haven't really counted on is the fact that the real Jack is back in the picture. Not only is he uh, sniffing around uh, his life and seeing that this imposter has made a lot of people angry, but he's starting to get the sense that there is some danger, and certainly Marissa is reinforcing that. He sends Marissa to Jabot to eavesdrop on a, uh, a conversation that uh, Gabriel and Marco are having, I don't know, I should say Adam, and Marco are having um, getting you know getting ready to go forth with the plan to fake uh, Jack's death and frame Victor for it and uh, Marissa goes undetected gets back uh, to, to where she's, she's staying at the athletic club I assume that Jack gave her some money to stay at the fanciest hotel in town I assume uh, so they've got a room at the athletic club I don't know how Phyllis is going to feel about that when it all uh, boils down uh, and I guess again another side note I'm a little bit scattered this week but I will say when Jack was at the house and he was with Phyllis for that brief moment, and they were connecting for the first time again. He did try to tell her that all is not what it seemed. And there was a part of me that thought, don't tell her. It's better for Phyllis if you actually don't tell her, because I'm afraid to know what this is going to do to Phyllis when she finds out that she's been sleeping with an imposter. I, I, it's it's horrifying. If I mean, if you could put yourself in her position for a moment, wouldn't that feel like rape? I mean, it just, which is apparently a theme of the show right now, but it's just in a way, because then again, I guess keeping a secret isn't bad either, but there was just this part of me that was thinking, don't tell her, Jack. Just If there's any way to save her from what this information is going to do to her, maybe you should do it. But I don't know, maybe that's not the right thing to do. Um, but I I'm also kind of wondering if uh, cracks, we're going to start to see cracks in Jack and Phyllis's relationship as a result of all of this. Maybe Jack feeling uh, betrayed by the fact that she didn't know it was not him. Uh, maybe uh, it seems like he and Marissa are getting along pretty well. I don't know if that's going to come into play at all. Uh, certainly she likes men that look like that. She's still very much in love with Marco, so I'm not sure, but they do kind of make a, a, a nice team, and I, um, I I want Jack and Phyllis to get back together, but I'm kind of liking the addition of Marissa. I liked her curly French braid. I liked her funky earrings. 
things. I think she's kind of cool. Um, maybe we could hook her up with Noah or somebody. <laughs> uh, somebody's got to be single in town. Uh, so anyway, she does run back and tell uh, 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 the real Jack uh, about that something is going to be going down in Chancellor Park. Uh, she doesn't know exactly what the plan is going to be, but uh, Jack is immediately ready to 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 pick pick himself up and run out there and get into the middle of it. It's, it's not a game that he wants to play slow. He wants to force his way in and and take care of this. And the surprising element was Jack saying, yeah, I can see that Victor's fingerprints are all over this, but I got to go save his life. If Victor Newman is in any danger, I got to go save his life. He saved my life and I'm going to make it even. And then once I make it even, all bets are off. <laughs> I didn't even think about that as a twist that, 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 uh, that Victor saved Jack's life. Life. So Jack, Jack would naturally end up saving Victor's life, thus sort of evening the sto- evening the score, evening out the storyline or the balance of the Genoa City universe a little bit. Um, so Victor, Jack runs off to save <laughs> to save his one true love, Victor, uh, and Marissa does end up calling the police. So she calls Paul, uh, doesn't give him any information, but at least alerts him to the fact that there's going to be a shooting at the park. So the police are certainly going to be involved sooner or later. I'm not sure. I find it hard to believe that Victor just walked right into Marco's plan. It just, it seems to me that every step along the way, Victor has made the dumb move, which is not really like Victor. It's not, it wouldn't be like him to go to his enemy and say exactly what his weak spot is. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like Victor to, to even meet Marco in the park. It's, I mean, I, I think, I, I want to believe, I suppose, that maybe Victor was going to kind of one-up him at one point, but I don't know, maybe not. It seemed to me like Victor just walked right into it. The very end of Friday's show, the big climax, is Adam kind of hiding behind a pillar or something, the steps in Chancellor Park. <laughs> this is so stupid. He's sort of looking looking out, uh, <laughs> um, kind of like a Cyrano or something. It's almost very Shakespearean. He's sort of looking out on the scene of Victor and Marco together. And uh, I, I, I think Marco reached into his... Uh, jacket pocket for a gun and and Victor, but Victor was quick draw McGraw over there. He like flung that pistol out of his pocket and just boom, like put one right in Marco's chest right there in Catherine's Memorial Park. It was all very fast. Uh, It was very anticlimactic I would say, but exciting at the same time. I guess I enjoyed the, the the build up to that moment a lot more than the actual moment. The, I mean, the, it was over in, in, in a second, one second. It didn't last at all. It was just boom, showdown, done. Um, <laughs> Victor shoots him for crying out loud, it, which is such a bad plan. Bulletproof vest is not going to protect your head. Victor should have just shot him in the head. <laughs> then it all would have been over. Uh, and then after Victor, it, well, it was. It, was almost like a script. I mean, I know it is. 
<laughs> but the um, the the suspension of disbelief part, even it felt like you know the scene within the scene felt scripted uh, because Adam runs out immediately over over Jack's body and is like, "You killed him! <laughs> you killed him!" Mm. I'll keep your secret if you decide to give me the company. Give me Newman Abbott and everything in it, and I'll keep this little secret. I mean, Victor has to have known this was a setup. I, and, and, I mean, he doesn't know that it's Adam, but I, it just it just seems all a little bit implausible for me. I don't know. Um, the, the thing is that I did not even think about... Uh, until I started reading my YNR chat comments for the week, um, I it didn't even occur to me that there could have been a switcheroo. Um, first of all, it seemed to me like the bullet hit in the vest. Well, first of all, I should say I don't know any spoilers. I don't know anything beyond what happened on Friday's U.S. show, so it, it could all be revealed on Monday and I wouldn't know. But um, it looked to me like the bullet hit the bulletproof vest, so I'm assuming whoever is the man that's lying on the ground um, is still alive, presumably. I'm not sure. But um, Ariel had called into my voicemail and I uh, was so shocked that I didn't even think of this. But she was the first person to kind of uh, put the thought in my head that the man... Um, that there had already been a switcheroo, that the man lying on the ground is the real Jack, that somehow the real Jack was able to swoop in and and apprehend Marco, make a switch, and then go through with Marco's plan, which is so dangerous after going through everything he's gone through, uh, and put on, putting on the bulletproof vest, and who, who Victor actually shot was the real Jack. I also got a Facebook message from Daisy, who writes... I think Victor shot the real Jack and will spend weeks trying to see if he'll live. Victor will surely end up in jail because of it. Victor could have justified shooting the criminal Marco, but there's no justification for shooting the real Jack. Marissa might be the only person who can set things right, but we don't know yet if her loyalties will be with Jack or with Marco. So, wow, I, that completely blew my mind. I entirely assumed that Marco's plan had just gone off without a hitch, and now here we are. But it makes so much more sense to think of it actually being uh, the real Jack, and, and maybe he will be mortally wounded, or, or wounded to some extent. That's a really good theory. Um, and, and it's just that those words keep ringing in my ears. Uh, Jack's last words before he, he ran out the door, you know, or uh, he, he was saying, you know, you know, Victor saved my life, and now I'm going to go save his. So there is almost like this great, great assumption that 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 hopefully Jack was able to ride in, save the day and balance uh, the scales. After finding out about Kane and Lauren's kiss, Lily went right to the surveillance tapes of the athletic club, and she found a surveillance tape which showed Lauren entering in to Kane's room at midnight. Why on earth 
would Lauren have gone to Kane's hotel room at midnight? It's so completely inappropriate. And I got a voicemail from Gary, too, earlier in the week, and he was kind of remembering that YNR had showed us a preview of Kane and Lauren sleeping together, and then it never, you know, when they do the previews at the end of the show, and then it never got picked up on. And I kind of remember that, too. Do you guys remember that? Did I, I'm kind of wondering, well, did I miss something? Um, because there was just such a uh, an element of secrecy around this midnight visit between Kane and Lauren. And I, I, especially at the beginning part of the week, neither one of them was denying it. It wasn't until Thursday or Friday's show that Kane actually did end up denying it. And and there, there was just still a part of me that's thinking, I wouldn't put it past them if they had slept together at this point. There is no... A good reason why Lauren should have been in Kane's hotel room. And there is so much reason for Lily to be suspicious about it. In fact, when she confronts Kane with the surveillance footage, Kane is immediately so offended by the fact that she wouldn't trust him and that she would go looking for evidence. Well, I thought, what? It's completely reasonable that she would do that. I don't blame Lily at all, at all, for looking. I blame Kane and Lauren for having this inappropriate relationship. And it's as much on Lauren as it is on Kane, although I'm very mad at Kane right now, having a very hard time connecting with him and forgiving him. But at the same time, Lauren should be respecting enough of, Lori, of, of Lily's wishes to stay away. And I don't know why she isn't. She, you know, you, you almost get this sense from Lauren, and there was a little moment between her and Paul, Lauren and Paul having a conversation later in the week where Lauren just uh, just seemed to indicate that she really appreciated Kane's support and maybe in a, in a sexual way maybe she was you know that maybe she's interested in him that you know on the surface Lauren's lips are saying to Kane you need to go fix your marriage but there's a part of me that's wondering if she's kind of hoping <laughs> that she's going to be able to pursue a relationship with him. I think, you know, maybe at the end of the day, Michael was a little bit right about Lauren in that she is someone who needs to have the sexual attention from a partner. So uh, maybe that is what she's looking for. Maybe that is what she's missing. And certainly Michael has tortured her beyond what anyone should have been through. But there is a part of me that, that wonders if... Uh, if he was just speeding the process along? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, now, Lily is so upset by finding this footage, uh, assuming that Kane and Lauren are having an ongoing affair. Oh, Lord. She gives herself, she has a weak moment. <laughs> Joe walks into her little weak moment. And the next thing you know, Lily and Joe are having sex. I mean, they're, it's, what? I don't even know what to say about this. Um, she, like, 
Joe just moved right in. She was, she gets herself a hotel suite upstairs. She's ready to drink herself silly. Joe just happens to, you know, he, 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 he always, he has impeccable timing. I don't trust him. I don't trust that he was just, that he didn't want this from the beginning. He seems opportunistic to me, but he kind of walks into the picture and he's just right place at right time. Uh, and Lily, Lily kisses him and she decides she wants to just forget all about it. She just like, <laughs> she just jumped on him. She wrapped her legs around him so tight. She jumped up onto him, wrapped her legs around him. He carries her over to the bed and they have uh, sad sex. It just had to have been sad because neither of them are thinking about any, you know, neither of them are thinking about each other. Lily's thinking about Kane. He's thinking about Avery. Oh, it was so humiliating. I felt bad for Lily because for as, you know, for as many things as Lily's and Kane's relationship has been, um, you know, she, if she was going to have an affair, she could have had it with Tyler. I don't think it was in her heart to cheat on Kane. I think she, gosh, she just had a bad, she just had a total lapse of judgment and she knew it immediately immediately she was regretting it uh, and and she even said oh i you know i judged hillary and devon for their affair i've been so judgmental about that and now here i am ugh i just i hate that i've done this she wants to just quietly tuck this whole thing away uh file it under mistake <laughs> but we all know how that tends to turn out I am just absolutely devastated about what's going on with Avery. This is so... <sighs> it's just, it's horrific. It's so, I feel so disappointed that YNR is doing this. I'll start at the beginning of the week. Um, Avery is having this feeling that Joe is stalking her. She is hearing noises in the apartment. Uh, she feels very strongly that someone is watching her. Uh, she, in fact, had an incident where she thought someone broke into the apartment. She calls Dylan, uh, who she has seen as her protector, and uh, you know, asks him to come over. And Dylan kind of, he, he does go over and check on her, but he sort of, you know, kind of tells her, you, you got to call the police if this is happening. I'm trying to pursue, you know, I'm not, I'm not, your husband and you know, I'm not your lover anymore I I'm not your partner anymore you you have to learn to lean on somebody else and it was so it was so sad um you know she's increasingly isolated she's increasingly alone and not even just the character but it feels like the actress is I just I, I it, it's such a sad feeling to watch Avery go through this and I've gone through waves of wondering what what's really going on here because I did think at the beginning of the week that maybe she was starting to imagine it that that maybe she was uh, so spooked by everything that had gone on with Joe that she was um I don't know, freaking herself out, or maybe that she was at the beginning of a mental illness, or that there was something about her uh, that we didn't know, you know, that kind of alluded to that uh, the previous week, Joe saying something like he knew a secret that she had or something, he knew more about her than, than we did, so I thought maybe she was losing her mind, and, and, and I, I don't think that Joe was stalking her, 
But still to this day, I don't I or to at this point in the story, I don't I don't think it's Joe. I don't think Joe is behind this. I I think it's all too convenient. There are a lot of time gaps. YNR is showing us things happening to Avery when Joe may or may not have an alibi. Um, and I just think it's a red herring. Uh, I think it's it's either somebody else or you know or, or you know, somebody else entirely. I I, I just I. Uh, the initial thing that happened, you know, with the break-in, Avery is absolutely sure that it was Joe. And she tells, she calls the police, tells Paul, and Paul's not believing of her, which was such a hard thing to watch, too. Um, I think he did end up going and questioning Joe about his alibi, and he had to say that he was with Lily. Uh, he didn't happen to mention on that occasion that they were sleeping together, uh, but but he does kind of mention that. And then um, Lily goes, I'm trying to remember all of this in the right order because I'm just so, um, I'm just so sad about everything. Lily ends up um, going over to talk to Avery after she has slept with Joe and she confides in Avery that she has just done this and that she's not sure if she can trust Joe to keep the secret even though he's promised to um, and and she just you know is kind of wondering what she's gotten herself into and it was odd that Avery said to her you know Joe's a lot of things but I don't think he would go and ruin your reputation I think he cares about his own reputation I, I you know of all the things I think Joe would do I don't think he would do this so there was this weird moment of Avery kind of defending Joe um and being so kind to Lily Ugh, I just I hate that this is going on because the fact that Avery is going through her own hell and she took the time to really comfort Lily, even gave her a change of clothes. I mean, Lily's feeling sick with the fact that she's had this affair. And Avery says, just go ahead, take a shower. Um, here, take a dress of mine that magically fits you so perfectly. Um, and, and I just thought it was so kind of Avery and, um, and just so disappointing to see what happens to her later. A another sort of out-of-character move Avery calls Joe and asks to meet with him. I mean, she's got a restraining order with him at this point, and she kind of lures him in. She says, I want to just talk with you uh, and end this war between us. And then when he does agree to meet her, which, by the way, happened to be in a dark park at night, um, she she flips the script and starts telling him that she's you know disappointed with what he would do with Lily, and it was sort of, you know... it became more confrontational than it was about, you know, healing or, or whatever. And I don't know if that was intentional or an emotional decision, but they end up getting into an argument and Joe once again grabs her wrist, which I, I just think it's a red herring. I think Weiner would want us to think that it's Joe because he's showing us these elements of violence. Of course, he's never grabbed her. Uh, we've never seen any indication of him being violent with her. And now all of a sudden, it's every time we turn around, He's grabbing her. I kind, you know, I kind of hate that. Um, I, I don't like this element of violence, and I certainly don't like what comes next. They have a confrontation. They part ways. Avery goes walking off into the dark alone. She's outside of. Ugh. She's outside of her apartment. 
And we just see, like, this guy come up behind her with his gloved hand and covers her mouth and drags her off into the alley. And the next thing we see, she is in the hospital being swabbed under her fingernails by a nurse. And there's a sexual assault kit on the little table in front of her. I, uh, I could not believe it. I mean, I literally, when... I wasn't expecting that because I don't read spoilers. Um, so I was completely not expecting that. I immediately, uh, I was shocked. I brought, I mean, I, I like screamed and brought my hands to my, my over my mouth and my eyes. I was, it was so, I, I just, I couldn't believe it was happening. And I guess a lot of it's so shocking to me because I really like Avery. She's just like, she's just a kind of a good person. Why do we have to put her through this? It doesn't seem necessary. It's just, it's so awful. It's so awful and it's so dark. I know this isn't the first time we've ever had a rape storyline, but I just, it's, it's, she, it feels torturous to me. And knowing that she's leaving is even harder I just don't know that she's going to be able to really recover from this. I worry that it's going to uh, end up culminating in possibly her killing herself. I, just, I, I, just, I don't want that for the character, and I don't want to watch that as a viewer. So I'm just really hoping that's not where they where they go. And I I feel a little bad for Joe because I think he's I don't I don't know, maybe I that, that's a horrible thing to say, but I just don't think he did it. I I just don't. I think and and not because all the evidence isn't there, but just because I think writing-wise, I think uh the writers are going to have it be something else. And there's not any indication that that actor is leaving the show. Uh so I kind of think that this is this is Avery in isolation. I think it's going to end up being someone else entirely. And so I feel bad if Joe didn't do it, that he would be accused of something so awful. Of course, if he did do it, then certainly I'd like to see him get punished. It's just, it's so dark. Um, Avery didn't end up seeing his face, so she she didn't know who it was. Oh, God, I can't believe this happened! The actress is so good, too. Her eyes are bloodshot as she's lying there in the bed, and she's just crying. And I just, it was, like, too real or something, because she also started describing how she didn't see his face, he had a ski mask on, but she knew that it was Joe. She knew. It was the same body build as Joe. She's had sex with Joe before. Um, and th then uh, it was, then she, and she even said she could smell, ugh, ugh. She could smell his cologne. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong to not believe her. I guess maybe I'm wrong to not believe her. If she says it's Joe, then maybe it's Joe. And, I, and only because, I'm only thinking it's not because I'm looking at it from a writing perspective or from a story perspective. Um, I, I, we should believe her if she's saying that's him. I, this is just, it's too real. Saying that she could smell the cologne and it made her sick, it just... <sighs> I'm looking for the twist, though. You know, I am. Tr I'm trying to not. I can't get into this too much. It's it's too depressing. But I am looking for the twist, and I kind of do. I, someone had mentioned early, early, early in the story when Joe came on to the scene that there was a possibility uh, or a speculation that he might be the brother of Matt Clark. 
And for some reason, that's sort of sticking with me today uh, as I'm as I'm thinking about that. Um, because Matt Clark is a character who, uh, he came onto the scene a couple of different times, and I think he's still alive. I think he left alive. Uh, and he's someone who tried to rape Sharon twice. Uh, and in fact, he did end up raping one of Nick's old girlfriends, Amy. And there was, a, a, they had done a, a whole paternity thing around it, like, Matt raped Sharon and she got pregnant and they didn't know if it was Matt's or Nick's and but Sharon ended up losing the baby and 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 I don't remember how the whole thing ended but I thought it was interesting that the last names are the same the uh their body types are even similar you know the way I kind of remember Matt Clark although I think two different actors played him it was sort of a similar looking guy the dark hair you know tall and thin um uh that they kind of might look the same um um, and the fact that Matt Clark was a character who had raped uh, Sharon. Uh, and, and I thought, well, maybe that would be sort of a connection point between Sharon and Avery eventually. So, I mean, I don't know. That's all completely speculation. But if they were to do some kind of DNA testing or, you know, what the rape kit results would be that will be you know we're gonna need to see what the results of that are i'm uh, i'm wondering if the dna would be the same uh if it was something like uh like joe's brother instead of joe or i don't know um i i'm also kind of wondering how is lily having sex with joe going to end up playing into this um is there any chance that they're gonna need to do a swab of lily or something for dna this is all just too detailed but i mean in essence i'm wondering you know to what lily thinks that her secret is safe for now and that it's just going to be something that she has to internally struggle with <laughs> but this is all gonna get dragged out into the light for her and everyone On kind of a related note, this is, I guess there's so much going on with YNR right now that nobody, uh, nobody really mentioned this to me this week, and I was so surprised, but, uh, Lauren finally signs Michael's divorce papers, so Lauren and Michael are divorced, it's official, and it's such a big deal to me, and I'm just so surprised nobody else really was, um, had mentioned it to me. I mean, so much else was going on, uh, but wow, wow. After just, I think, the final straw, Lauren could, j just could not fight it anymore. I think she was tired of being tortured by Michael. She was tired of being pushed away by Michael, and she finally just said, give me the pen, and she signs his divorce papers. She gives she gives this dramatic speech after she signs them, where you know she says, "Well, I hope you're happy." And then she goes to leave, and she turns around and she says, "You know what? I haven't lied to you yet. So why should I start now? I don't hope you're happy. I hope this hurts you as much as it hurts me." It was great. It was really a, a great. Uh, a great speech. That was great writing. I'm just really pissed off that it happened, to be honest with you. I, I had to um, do my little internet research, my little Wikipedia-ing, uh, to find out that Michael and Lauren were married in 2005. So I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that that's 10 years 
of chemistry, of romance, of raising a child together, <laughs> of raising a 19-year-old together in 10 years. <laughs> Uh, but just a really remarkable relationship. Um, Ten years old, completely down the tubes. Thanks, new YNR. Thanks. I mean, for what? For some ratings or, or, or what? And Michael and Lauren's divorce was not top news. I mean, am I the only one that cared about them anymore? Maybe it was just me. They were my favorite. They're my favorite couple on the show. I have. I am having. Uh, I, Michael has become such a dark character to me now and the fact that they would get, get divorced and then it would just seem it was sort, sort of an afternote is is it's really kind of um sacrilege to me uh michael and lauren had to have been one of the longest running soap couples and i just wanted to make sure to throw that out there this week as a question to you um can you think of any characters on the show uh, any time in the past who have lasted 10 years with no divorces. <laughs> I mean, you could say Nikki and Victor 25 years, but there's been a lot, there's been about six divorces in there. How many uh, other soap couples can you think of on YNR that have been together for 10 years or more? And uh, if you want to toss in, for those of you who watch other soaps, if you want to toss in some other um, soaps, you know, from, you know, current soaps or past soaps or anything, give, tell me some long-running soap couples. Um with no divorces in between. <laughs> I'd love to hear those comments. And speeding light, speeding right along, light speeding through everything these days. Uh, Sharon's pregnant. Um, uh, why, why would I even be surprised? Uh, week one, <laughs> Dylan breaks up with Avery and he's with Sharon. Um, week two, they're sleeping together. <laughs> week three, they're moved in. Week four, she's pregnant. And it's true. That is truth. <laughs> and it's not that I don't think Sharon and Dylan are a great couple. It's not. I like Sharon and Dylan together. Uh, and it's not even that I, that I don't want them to have a baby. I actually like the idea of Sharon and Dylan having a child together. I mean, Dylan's never gotten to experience fatherhood before, and I think it would be really cool to see him going through that for the first time. I think it could be a really um, healing experience for Sharon. I like both of these characters. I like all of the elements that had happened to them. I just don't need them all crammed into one month of story. And I'm ticked about that. I'm, I'm just ticked about this whole pregnancy thing. I cannot communicate to you the deepness of my sigh <laughs> over this. Uh, and, and it's also, it was kind of a trick because at the beginning of the week, Dylan and Sharon were kind of deciding to take a step back. They actually did acknowledge that the relationship was moving very fast and they decided to maybe date a little. They went out on a date at the underground and I was on board. I was like, yes, thank you. Maybe the writers heard my plea <laughs> and they decided to slow it up a little bit. And then 
no, they just turned that right on me. Sharon's got a pregnancy uh, test in her bag. She's having a conversation with Nick about him, uh, ha him and Sage's pregnancy, and and uh, she even said to she said to him, "Well, I know I'm I'm fine with you having a family. I'm going to start my own." And she said that before she even took the pregnancy test, which is weird. Um, I thought Nick's reaction was weird. He is Mr. Control Freak when it comes to everything in her life. But he has quite literally and completely passed the torch over to Dylan. He's like, you deal with her now. Nick was like, hey, good. Good for you, Sharon. If you want to have a family, you go for it. Um, it's just, it's, 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 and if, if, furthermore, it's kind of weird that Sharon is so supportive of Nick because she's saying to, she's saying to Nick, you know, I'm happy that you're having a baby with Sage. That's such great news. And remember that scene a couple of weeks ago when she goes to Sage and throws her arms around her and is like, congratulations. And then Sharon's being so supportive about Dylan being involved with Avery and helping her. It's almost too supportive. I mean, I just keep thinking, wow, that's so mature. You know, I'm so glad to see Sharon being mature. But now, I I'm wondering if it's because she's got some kind of trick up her sleeve. An, an ace in the hole, so to speak. <laughs> I really hope not. I really hope not. She tells Dylan that she's pregnant. We, you know, we don't see the pregnancy test. We just see that she has one. And then all of a sudden, she's telling Dylan... And and he's of course thrilled about it, and I thought that was a very cute scene. Um, that you know she's thinking, oh, he's gonna, he's not gonna be happy. He's gonna think it's moving too fast. And then he says, no, I'm thrilled about this. He's gonna be a great dad. Like who would be a, a better dad than Dylan? And, and I mean, it's, it makes complete sense. And then in true YNR form, they're speeding along immediately to making the big family announcement. <laughs> I mean, who takes a pregnancy test and then calls everybody together immediately to, to announce? I mean, ugh, they, they called a, a family meeting with Paul and Nikki, Chris, Mariah, Noah, and they just want to tell everybody their, their good news. I can't believe it. Everybody in the room was shocked. <laughs> um, Noah's like, whoa, hold up. Mariah's very suspicious of Dylan. Um, and his intentions, which I don't entirely know where that's coming from. I definitely still feel something off with the Sharon and Mariah relationship. And um, I don't know, Sharon was kind of rude to Mariah before, or, you know, a little bit later in the in the announcement about, you know, if you can't support me, then you can get out or, you know, something along those lines. And um, I think Mariah was shocked by that. And it, it, it turned and then all of a sudden she's hugging her and being happy. And that was weird. Um, but uh, the the <laughs> the only reaction that I really cared about and enjoyed more than anything else <laughs> was Nikki. <laughs> she had this look on her face like, are you kidding me? You're pregnant now? Um, I mean, everybody, when they learned about it, is standing there kind of questioning Sharon, saying, are you, like, you know, questioning both of them, like, are you okay with this, Dylan, the, you know, are you okay with this, Sharon? Uh, Nikki asked the completely legitimate question about, is Sharon going to be able to continue taking her medicine while she's pregnant? Nikki said, she had a great line, she said something about, well, we know what happens when you don't take your meds. Buildings burn, companies crumble, families fall apart. Great, great 
line. And I loved also a little bit later when Sharon and Nikki are sitting down and um, just getting real with it. Nikki said something like, what is it about my sons that you just have to have them? I do have a lot of comments this week. I probably should have just read comments instead of attempting <laughs> to do my recap because I don't know how very good I've been. Um, but I will start out with Anna who left me a voicemail and she says, I think Sharon got pregnant on purpose to keep Dylan away from Avery. And that was sort of, um, that was Nikki's position as well. She went as far as to accuse Sharon of poking a hole in the condom or failing to take her birth control pills, which was uh, like, ooh, <laughs> she went there. <laughs> it's, see, that's the thing is I'm thinking there's something up too. Something doesn't seem right. Like, is there any chance Sharon isn't even pregnant at all? I don't know. Another really good uh, theory that I got from uh, Angela, who left me a voicemail at yrchat.com. She said, I have a bad feeling that Sharon's going to fake this pregnancy and try to steal Sage's baby or vice versa. It's disturbing. I know, I know. Yeah, something's up. I don't think this is just going to be a straight pregnancy, which is, again, very sad. It's adding an element of, if this is the case, it's adding an element in, of manipulation into a relationship that really, you know, did have some potential. I, I just, mine are screwed this up, in my opinion. I like Sharon and Dylan, and I think they just screwed it up. Um... Okay, BX Girl HS on YouTube says, I kind of love Marco. <laughs> He's like a criminal mastermind that's just wrecking shop. He is setting up everyone to take epic falls while keeping himself clean as a whistle. I see things turning for the Abbots, and I predict temporary jail stay stays for Adam, Kyle, and Billy. You know, I kind of think so too. Even though. I'm sure at the end of the day, Mike Marco will end up getting his. It seems like Weiner is probably going to end up pinning murder uh, and maybe even Avery's rape. I don't know how much they're going to pin on Marco before ushering this twin storyline completely off the scene. But at the end of the day, uh, Adam, Kyle, Billy... Ashley, they were all complicit in a crime. They all did something that they shouldn't have done. And I I think we're going to see uh, them having to do a little pay, paying for it, too. Uh, Cheryl called and left me a voicemail that said, Victor always brings these people into his family lives and he never, into his family's life, and he never gets in trouble. They always forgive him, and he never goes to jail. And it, it's so true, Cheryl. That kind of reminds me of of uh, what happened with Patty. You know, when he brought Patty back into the scene, it's very similar uh, to what's going on with Marco now. He brings in this element of danger, not knowing what huge can of worms he's opening up, and then it explodes, somebody gets hurt, and he never ends up paying for it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he ever will. Uh, Jennifer Budin on YouTube says, I am really not happy with how they are writing Adam. 
Adam always had a plan, and he was always the smartest guy in the room. Now they have him basically running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And I think Jennifer was kind of maybe making this point a little bit more in reference to his identity and uh, with, with Chelsea, because uh, it was on last week's video, and that's what we were talking about. But um, I plucked this comment out because I think it's really relevant and true also when it comes to Marco and his plan. If Adam is just going along with Marco, I don't know. I, 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 that doesn't even seem like Adam. I mean, it seems like him to want to benefit, and it's certainly true that Adam does benefit from Marco's plan, but there is a part of me that's shocked that he's playing second fiddle to this guy he just met, and that he's going along with it over the, we you know, with this guy that he just met. That doesn't seem very Adam-like to me. Um, Henry on Facebook says, I wish that the, the YNR writers would get Adam off the hook by having a character injected into the show just to come forward and admit they were the one that accidentally killed Delia, and they can't just carry that around with them anymore. Then arrest that person, Adam's off the hook, and now now he can tell everyone he's alive. I agree, Henry. How hard would that be? I, I do still feel, and I, I feel like I'm reminded of it every single week, I still feel annoyed by the fact that Wyanor just never resolved Delia's murder. They just swept it up under the rug and asked us to forget about it. It's just, um, I don't know why. I don't know if they're saving it for a later storyline or what, but I mean, we're finally getting to the bottom of this fake Jack twist identity thing, and I think it's about time we get to the the, the bottom of uh, the Gabriel Adam identity thing. Um, Daisy on Facebook says, I was hoping it wasn't him, but now I think Joe attacked Avery. Just showing up at her apartment because he was concerned, I think it was more like he wanted to see his handiwork, which is also so very possible. Yeah, Daisy, I think that's really very possible. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I think I'm more pragmatic in the way I'm wanting to watch the story. I'm looking for what the twist is going to be, but, um, but certainly... Avery would know, right? She would know. So, maybe it was. And if that's the case, then Joe is sadistic. He's disgusting. And certainly I would think that the character would be written off the show. Um, okay, really, really good uh, uh, voicemail from Gary this week, who was kind of schooling me on the early days of YNR, uh, that there was a storyline involving Chris Brooks, who um, w also had a rape uh, a rape scene, and that it was you know a very serious thing at the time, and it was really taken seriously. Um, that apparently this character Chris Brooks was raped, and that YNR kind of took the story as in sort of an educational approach that they were trying to raise awareness about rape in the way that the story was being written, in the way that they were trying to like educate women about what to do if they were to be raped, uh, and, and that it had just more of an educational uh, overall tone to it. And that's not what we're getting with YNR and the Avery rape storyline right now. And Gary had mentioned that, um, that there was a, 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 a the character of Chris was able to have time to heal 
after the rape, that it was a process. You know, this happened to her, but the story followed her through uh, her recovery. And that's also not something that we're going to get from Avery. We all know that Avery is going to be leaving the show, and so we're not going to get to see her go through that healing process. There's a, you know, Gary was kind of, uh, you know, arguing in the voicemail, and I agree entirely that um, it, it feels more like a plot device that the rape is being used to for you know to, to as a story and it just so happened that the actress thought it was awful enough that she ended up wanting to leave the show over it and i think maybe the writer got in trouble for writing it the way he originally wrote it and so there was a sort of behind the scenes uh, smoke that came up as a, as a result of this but um but I, it just it seemed this these writers man they just it's like what, what are the big things we could throw at this right now? You know, what are the things that would be shocking? And I just don't think that that's how... It's so serious and so severe and such a bummer. And I just don't think that's how um, YNR should be. In fact, um, here's a, a voice... or a, No, this was a YouTube comment I got from Christy Sittig. She says, I'm, a f I'm fairly new to YNR. I also watch B&B. And I, too, am tired of the shooting and the killing crap. Uh, I watch these shows for... I watch these soaps for gentle entertainment. If I wanted all the violence, I would watch NCIS or that type of show. And that is exactly how I have felt um, as you know, as I've been realizing over the past couple of weeks that the show is very violent right now. But I've said that in the past too. Um, I, I just I, I kind of like I, I feel like YNR should be about romance, and I like the business intrigue. Those are the storylines I like. But you know, romance and love and family, and those are kind of the elements that attracted me to YNR and it's just so, it's so unnecessarily dark. Um, Samuel left a comment on YouTube and said, I cannot stand Kane. I have never liked him. He is so self-righteous and I can't take it. He's been lying since he came to Genoa City. For him to act as if Lily was wrong for calling his ass out is ludicrous. He's always trying to go around and find flaws in everyone after he is the one that has messed up. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I was sort of toward the end of the week trying to connect in with Kane because he did make a point of of telling Lily that he was gonna cut off the relationship with Lauren. That he that he acknowledged it was unprofessional for him to be uh, anything other than her business colleague, and that if it made her uncomfortable, he should stop it. And, but it was too little, too late. It was almost just to to you know to to make us feel Lily's grief more and, and guilt more over what she had done. But uh, last week, the week before, and even like the first three days of this week, I'm thinking Kane is such a jerk. He's done nothing to reassure Lily about about his relationship with Lauren. And at every step of the way, he's gotten more and involved, more involved with Lauren as Lily has uh, gotten more suspicious of it. So she was right. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm ticked at Kane. Um, uh, Zabaza on YouTube says, question for YNR fans. Didn't Victor and Ashley marry long before Billy and Victoria? I believe so, but I could be wrong. If I'm correct, Victor would have crossed the line first in the Capulets and Montague saga. I like that comment because we were kind of talking about um, 
uh, the Romeo and Juliet of uh, you know, Billy and Victoria, Summer and Kyle style story. And uh, absolutely, <laughs> Victor married uh, Ashley long before Billy and Victoria. So definitely that was, I mean, and I guess that's a good question for the, for why in our chat, was that the first Abbott Newman crossover uh, relationship? I think it was. So I really like that comment. That was That's really good and really smart. Um, Lee Daisy Williams on YouTube, I'll end on this one, says, um, have you ever thought about writing YNR fan fiction on Wattpad? It's a great way to, a great way to write the storylines the way you want them or just focus on your favorite characters. You should check it out and read some. They are really good. I love that. Uh, and I'm going to do that. That sounds awesome. Um, I... I've got my hands full with YNR stuff, <laughs> so I probably I'm not not the world's greatest writer and time for that. But I'd love to read, and um, I think that I wanted to mention that for you guys because you know we we talk a lot about the writing. <laughs> so maybe uh, maybe some of us should put our money where our mouth is and go to Wattpad <laughs> and start writing some YNR fan fiction the way we want to see the show. Okay, you guys, I have an impending nap. <laughs> I can't believe I made it this far. Sorry if it's probably not as big and compelling and splashy as usual. Uh, but hopefully I'll feel better next week and we'll, we'll get our chat, a good high energy chat in. <laughs> uh, but until then, you know you can always leave me comments. You can go to yrchat.com. From there you can leave a voicemail, you can go to Facebook, you can go to Twitter, you can leave a voicemail directly by calling 309-588-4569. You can leave your comments on YouTube, you can send me a direct message. There's a million different ways <laughs> to let me know how you feel about the show this week and in general I always enjoy hearing uh, all of your different ideas and um, and uh, and predictions oh yeah yeah I'm afraid to know what we're getting ourselves into but we'll see <sighs> all right you guys I love you I'll see you next week bye